Hi there, it is time for another episode of Coreplay Break. This time we talk about a hidden cost of people turnover. Cost that a lot of companies are not able to calculate, therefore losing thousands of dollars unnoticed every year. This time we are joined by Kevin Hayes. Kevin is an experienced people manager and leader with experience in hospitality, telecommunication, sports, technology and food industries during his 25-year career. He's an advocate of process improvement ideas with background in Lean, Six Sigma, design thinking, training and coaching and process transition. You will hear Kevin more and more in our podcasts. So sit back, relax and enjoy having a story about the company turnover. Today I'm with Ben and Kevin. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Today we also have a very nice topic about the attrition rate in the corporation, but we will not talk about attrition rate itself. We'll talk about the cost. This is the subject that uh, that is not taken in consideration by most of the companies. Uh, but to be honest, if we look at our sector, which is shared service sector, we can see that there's a 50% of turnover or was in 2019. And we, if we look even into outsourcing BPO, this percentage go up to the 20%. For me, it is really high because uh, we're saying that one, uh, one per- person out of fifth change, uh, change the job once a year. So it's, for me, it's warning, but I also have a feeling that we as a sector, we get used to, to this situation. And we're saying, oh, if the if the percentage is not uh, exceeding twenty percent, we are good. We don't need to take care of it. And basically, the subject is uh, taking away from the main agenda in the company. But uh, what do you think, guys? So I think Robert is very interesting findings. And if you look to the numbers, I know this is twenty nineteen, but there's two things in my mind to attrition's. Um, and I will go back whether business is doing enough or not to control. Um, the percentage, but let's just start by understanding why actually a business have an attrition. I think it is really healthy and natural things as well, and I will explain why. Um, first of all, it's whether there, there's the internal factors. When people move around uh, between, um, as we talked today about shared, shared service centers, they move around because they find another opportunity in, in, in different places. And this could be also an indication that the market is outpricing you, somebody, some of your competitors, there's a paying better than you do. Uh, but there is also important in the um, work environment. So people, whether they are feel happy and have a purpose in working with you or not. And then the second thing is, is that uh, we need to consider here is basically the market fundamentals. So the work market that you, uh, your business operate in. And, and that tells the stories whether it's very dynamic or not. And I think if we look and um, reflect a bit on our market, which is Krakow market, it's pretty dynamic. Um, and then people tend to change their jobs because, um, it, you know, the business is expanding. There's other opportunities and, and you kind of have this uh, bottom-up shift, basically. Senior people go and find other opportunities in different places. Junior people from university comes fresh and join your organization. The second element that I spoke about early on is basically whether the business is doing enough or not and whether attrition figures are high or low, healthy or not. I think I tend a bit of disagreeing a bit about the conclusion that no one does about it anything. They look to the numbers, it's 50, 
or 20, doesn't really matter. The reasons why is that's where you benchmark yourself. For, for example, if you are BBO and you look to the market around you and you say, well, yeah, the average is about 20%. If I'm a 20, 22, 25, is that bad or good? Well, it depends. It would be bad if you're expanding or, in, or entering the phase of expansions. If a BBO comes in and I think, Kevin, you'll, you allude them that you have a lot of experience in that, in that sector. Um, in my mind, if you know you have a pipeline of contracts comes in to you, you will say, well, if I'm having a high attrition, that's bad. Because again, in the situation, I don't have my resources or I don't have the right resources in place, which is meaning genius in here. And I know you, I think, Kevin, you will add to that. But and then if you're an insourcing organizations, if you have the 15% in this or higher than the benchmark of 15%, and then I think this is kind of alarming a bit. You know why? Because you know that your advantage as an insourcing organization is having the right assets because you don't look really to the cost element, you look to the quality of your assets. Um, and, and this is where I come from, I think it depends what sector you're looking at, it depends what situations you have. And then your argument whether the high or low attrition versus a benchmark in the market is good or bad. But all without forgetting that I think when we have 2020 numbers, I think the numbers will tend to be lower for one reason, because the market is less dynamic again. We have a crisis, people will tend less to make a decision to change their jobs. I think it's a very good point. There's two parts of it. So you mentioned purpose. I think it's very important to actually understand that each employee is an individual. They have a different purpose for what they want in that job. And it's very difficult sometimes pinpointing what that purpose may be. It could be financial, it could be location of office, it could be job prospects, it could be general uh, easiness or uh, well-being of life that they look on as most important. And of course, it kind of relates to an earlier episode actually when you talk about the, the chess and checkers was that uh, in uh, episode five, of actually how to manage those people and to manage those uh, purposes. But um, you also mentioned about uh, generally the outsourcing. So I, I have some background in that, and especially when you're working with larger companies, which don't maybe just have tens or hundreds of staff employees, was that they'll actually have uh, thousands. And what you've got there, like you said, there's new contracts being signed. There's uh, new contracts in the pipeline. There's contracts ending. And so with attrition, you're always able to kind of plan ahead. And it's almost an expectation that contracts when the end, you will have a, a, a maybe higher attrition as with the movement of those employees. And sometimes this actually gives the employees a, a personal plan when they look forward. So they're actually already thinking, okay, so I'm only gonna be here for one year, two years, perhaps in this contract, then I'll move on, I'll get more experience, I'll have an opportunity. And when you're looking at the bigger companies like that, it can actually sometimes be beneficial to them, but it can also be a negative. Because what you tend to find, in my experience, is you have something called the, so the bench, where you actually have sometimes a group of staff who are in limbo. They're not attached to any contract permanently. Is that they're not a, um, they don't have their daily work where they can plan ahead the next few months because they're literally in between contracts and they're put here and there just to kind of firefight or support in contracts. And when you have this bench, it's obviously costs to the company because you're paying somebody who has a high skill set, has high experience, 
but you're not utilizing them properly. They're not being as productive as they could be. And uh, what you tend to find as well with the bench is quite often they're actually uh, higher bands, higher salaries, and more experienced people. Whereas the juniors tend to perhaps just leave when a contract ends because they know that they will get more experience in a new co company. A place like Krakow, you have lots of new companies, at least before the pandemic, was that opening up offices and there's always a high demand for languages. So these are always things that uh, I think contribute to attrition was that, and the hidden costs as well, especially in outsourcing. Good, I have a two reflections, at least in you. The first one is related to what you've been said, that there's a new people coming to the market and basically the company hiring the people there are basically two reasons why the company hiring the, the employee. One is because they are developing, because, because they are transferring their new processes and so on. And then the second one is a replacement. So if somebody is leaving company or decide to leave the company, we need to find a replacement. And the second reflection is about attrition rate itself, that this is not just a number or the number reflected to the cost. This is also, if we understand our attrition or turnover right, then it gives us the... Uh, kind of a inside information whether our companies help or not, whether we are doing good and our satisfaction level or the employee satisfaction level is, is fine. I think I want just to add a quick comment to it. It basically comes from the fact, I think when we look to a 15 or 20, that's to me a high level number, right? The devil in the details. So when within that 15, to, to make a decision, if you're sitting in, in a board and one of the senior staffs and senior management, you, you would be interested to understand the breakdown of that 15, 20. Why I'm saying that is for, if, you, if you're an insourcing organizations on a captive model, and within that 15, you drill down and you think that the high, your organization attrition is at the senior level it's higher than that, that's a kind of concern to you and, and rather it's not to the BBO levels, right? Because you are, the cost is not the main element. Of course, cost saving, cost efficiency, productivity, all always there. But you, the insourcing organization will be less pressured versus PBOs because PBO is a contractual agreement. They have to deliver specific efficiency by target dates. And this is where BBOs will keep their structures leaner when you talk about the bench in here. While in insourcing, you will make sure that you keep your senior staffs because those are the ones actually will drive uh, productivities, efficiency, continuous improvement. Um, that's really matters a lot. Um, so I, I think it's, it's, it's about to understanding the details beyond those two figures in, 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 in a macro level. And I think it's very interesting when you're talking about uh, yeah. the expectations as well, because when you're working with different clients from different cultural backgrounds, different countries, uh, different uh, maturity of business, mm -hmm. it actually has an impact on what the expectations are as well. Was that uh, you can go to some countries or some organisations that have a very long history and very low uh, level of attrition. Mm -hmm. So when they do actually outsource or uh, move their offices to Krakow, then all of a sudden the attrition rises. That is a big concern for them. Whereas perhaps for us, having 15% would be good. Whereas for them, this is maybe the highest they've ever had within their organisation. And of course, this raises questions, it raises confidence, is the durability, if you're managing properly, what can they do uh, to help you? So it's this expectation, not only within your own organisation, 
but with all the the other factors, i.e. client, was that the head office has been in other locations comparing yourselves to uh, attrition in India, attrition in Puerto Rico, attrition in Brazil, China, where if you have those uh, other offices, if you've got a benchmark, not only with your client, but a benchmark within your own organisation, it just adds more and more pressure sometimes of actually having to explain why this happens, explain why what you're doing to keep staff, what you're doing to raise morale, what you're doing to let the employees find that purpose that they're looking for. Yeah. Good. Now I would like to go to this uh, cost element and basically uh, there's a lot of factors that, inf that influence our cost related to the attrition level. Let's start from the departure cost. So when our employee inform us that uh, he's leaving or that uh, he finds some, some other job he, and he wants to change. And there's a, in Poland we have a one month or three months notice period, depending how how long are you working for the one employee. So within this period, what kind of cost do we can have? I think one one of the the first thing that I look at is again I would like to break it a bit to two levels. So if we're talking about the genial level, um, there's many factors you consider how high your cost would have been. And you will have almost minimum hiring costs, assuming that you have your own HR department, right? And a second cost to that, so basically, you would need to train the staff, right? When you hire those, you need to train them. And therefore, you have a loss in productivities for two reasons, because the junior staff joining in would need some time to pick up on his pre predecessor left. And then also, you would drag in more resources as well to train that staff. So you will typically put the senior person or, or team lead or an SME to train that person, right? But I tend also to think of it as well when you talk about the senior staffs as well. So if you lose a, a team lead, an operations manager or else, I think that's even more expensive. You would consider that the time for placement, you might need to hire an interim manager or you might have to hire a headhunter to accelerate the process because you need to have a specific profile to your industry. So um, it depends, right? But I, I think, and again, you reflect back and saying, okay, if I'm losing a junior staff um, and compare the cost within a BBO and in sourcing, I think it's completely different. Even a junior staff and an insourcing structure, you would need to, you will have the, the high end quality of that segment. I mean, you're gonna have to have a premium junior, which is not usually available in the market, especially when we're talking about language skills. But if you look to the PPO, and that's for reasons, the process is, is being pretty much standardized. It's like more enforcement and more paying attention that the process looks the same. So you would be able to shuffle people within the teams to just price them to perform the task for an interim period until the, the person comes in. I think the cost in PPO will be much lower, and they will typically invest much less on training and people development. While on the other hand, in insourcing, that's kind of flipped around. So you will have more of exceptions because you want to satisfy your consumers and customers and so on and the BUs, and you don't tend to have to push a bit harder on this standardization. So there's many factors to it. I think it's also partly, again, the size of the organizations. The BPO tend to employ more staff. So what you'll find is they have that bench, which is maybe bigger, they have more opportunities to move people. And also from an HR recruitment point of view, they are actually more used to this. This is actually part of their daily work, that they will be having recruitment meetings every day. 
they will be working with perhaps third parties to help them find the ideal people. Whereas if you're looking more at insourcing and usually a smaller organisation, was that this is maybe something more ad hoc, where it will actually take more time for them to do, they're less experienced in uh, doing it, which of course then brings costs because it takes longer. Yeah, you're both right. Uh, to your point, Ben, first of all, when the employee is uh, resigning, there are research saying that uh, his motivation or and commitment goes down by 15%. So right away when he says, when he decides that he is leaving, then we can expect that his productivity will go down. And the second part of this is the handover. Because the, the, the employee needs to train his replacement, then he's not able to commit 100% if, to, 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 to the job that he uh, did before. And then to, to, point, to your point, Kevin, there are administration costs. And, you, and as you mentioned, in the BPO, maybe this part is more standardized. There's a rotation is much higher. So the people or HR department already get used to it, to the situation when they have to put some administration tasks in order to replace the people. But then maybe in um, shared service or uh, GPSs, this, this process is not standardized yet. So we need to spend, or HR department needs to spend more hours to, uh, to prepare some administration stuff. But also, if we, if we think even about the exit interview, it's like minimum half an hour of or meeting that we need to expand. I, mean, I, want, I want to just echo one thing, because I think it becomes important. When you say it about the size matters, I think there's one element, and right now, as we're talking about it, because there's also the support function in an insourcing structure is way more linear. So they have less resources available to have a speed of hiring. They have less pipelines of candidate. While in BBO, you have, the teams are 10 times higher in, in terms of scale. So like they have a massive support functions that support the scale of a thousand plus people. So I think that's really matters as well. It's even from the marketing of the companies. The larger the company was that the more people know, the more graduates know you have the job fairs, was that you have friends who work as word of mouth. Uh, and that leads to the recruitment chain being much faster was that people already have their expectations. It's more of the company, uh, less so. Uh, Robert, what you mentioned about the 15% less production, th that's interesting because for me, it's also what I've noticed from managing people, whether it be as a team leader or a operations manager, delivery manager, is not just the impact on that one person leaving where they're working for uh, perhaps 15% less productivity, but it's the atmosphere sometimes within the team as well. It depends on the personality of the person leaving, the kind of the peer structure they have within that team, whether that impacts other people, and not just from a morale point of view, but also productivity. Like you said, other people have to start then preparing, okay, I'm, that, I'm person A's backup, so I need now to make sure I know with their job, I need to read their procedures, I need to read their documents and be prepared to do not only my job but somebody else's job. That impacts their morale, it impacts their productivity, is that, and that can then have an effect on all because the team leader then has to spend more time looking after them. The manager, like you said, maybe more time on the exit interview coordinating with uh, HR, with recruitment. It really has that effect, it's just that one person's productivity may be uh, 15 would be very 
interesting. I don't think there's such an analysis perhaps uh, being done that I've seen, but the actual impact on productivity of team members when somebody is actually leaving. And all of a sudden it just plants that seed of doubt as well on the people that they work with. Hmm, okay, they're leaving. Is there something better for me? Is the grass greener over there? Of course, we know it's not always greener. However, again, it depends going back, actually, depending on what you mentioned at the beginning with the purpose. You need to understand the purpose. Is that perhaps the grass is greener for that person because they're going to be paid 5% more wage. That's maybe something that's important to them. Perhaps it's not. Is it, but this is uh, an interesting, very interesting part of especially the less productivity. And I think you see my face smiling a bit right now because what you're talking about is was I read somewhere an article and, and but I don't remember the content article, I remember the stories of it. But they use one picture. It was literally the penguins walking in. So the penguins, by nature, they walk in line. And then the first which was the pictures, the first one jump in the water and the one will follow. So that's about what we tend to forget. There is what we call a diamond staffs. So basically, it's not usually in an organization, they tend to look who, they look to their organization and say, well, who is my critical staffs? But usually looking from the expertise perspective, they forget about the social perspective. There are some staffs that by nature, they have a lot of connections, people like them, they like seeing them, them they are talking to them, they are kind of, they, they might not be the most brilliant people in performance and productivity, but they, they kind of a good good people to have around. And those people are actually the first penguin on the line. So you got to know if you're leading a team, you got to understand who that person will be in your team. Because if that to your point, if that person jump change boat, everyone will start questioning why that person left. Is it because of money? It's because happen, something in the organization is happening and we don't know about it, right? And they start questioning whether am I in the, in the right place or not. Maybe I need to consider as well. It also depends on what you mentioned earlier again about seniority. Because you have juniors that maybe have uh, less uh, connection, less impact on the entire organization. However, in their small group, in their team, you get influential, influential people, not so influential people. However, when you then go to a team leader, maybe has more connections. So if a team leader leaves, it may impact more people. Uh, a manager leaves, it may impact even more. Centre leaders, even more. So this all has a knock-on effect that mm -hmm. reduces productivity, was that reduces confidence. If you're dealing with a third party, was that clients, all of a sudden it's like, well, hold on, what's going on here? I've spoken to many clients in the past, and this is one of their main concerns is attrition because it looks bad for them. It's hard for them to explain to their own members of staff, their own uh, management, why attrition changes, why the email, the person who usually contacts you from the center in another country is changing so often, why you have to re-explain. So this is all, again, it's not just the pure cost of saying, okay, we open recruitment, we hire somebody new. It's the whole knock-on effect of morale, confidence, and of course, when this comes to contract negotiations with a new client, mm -hmm. this is when it can be the costs. Yeah. I would like to argue a bit, a bit with you, but in this case, I have to agree 100%. There's one more last point, the new employee implementation cost, meaning we already get rid of the, uh, the old employee, or he redundant by himself, and now we hired somebody else. So we put already effort, 
the recruitment to choose the right person we have we have it we have we have them on board or we have um, he or she on board and now for sure they will not be 100% uh, productive starting from the first day of, of the month so we have to spend some time to train them and also to put some effort of other part of or other member of the team to just uh, you know a bit uh, direct the new person. I won't just add with that because ten we all the time about we talked about okay the first difficulties in here and that's why you're trying to lead to Robert is just how we could monetize that that knock knock off effect of losing staffs, but also equally how we could monetize certain aspect of having a new staff in the organization and one of the things that it's always been overlooked is basically company culture. You could get an, a person out of the box knows exactly how the process has been done because he has done exactly the same thing in the past. And let's remember that you know, technology standardization, certain aspect of deploying processes and transformations are the same almost in the market, right? You will have tiny little differences. Right, because let's remember that we're doing the same things in accounting standards. We're doing almost everywhere in IFRS. And it's like, what could be different between company A and B when people move from both from one side to another? But the element that I think it comes to my mind is the company culture. It's like how you build that culture and certain is a long way to go and require a lot of resources from the team leads, management, HR department, learning and development, even change management, branding, how you can embed them in people's mind is not only, again, creating that purpose, right? It's not about only just performing the task. Let's, there is, there's, I think if we draw a chart at some point, a person will max in productivity. And the only things that could make the difference is the right environment. So you reach a 90% productivity. I don't think that the 10% of your 120, 20, 130, 150% capacity it's all about creating the right environment, all about understanding your staff. So again, I like your reference to the earlier podcast about you know chess and checkers and management styles, etc. This is where actually the blend of both, or what you called Robert in, in the last post, like versatile management to combine both of them, is that the ability to find what motivate people, understand the triggers, and then pull out the environment that just you maximize people's commitment, Productivity is all about creating the right culture. Yeah. Good. One one final remarks is that there's a lot of factors in uh, impacting the employee to number, but to be fair to the companies, it is very rarely that the company has a tool to track those costs because there's a lot of factors that should or need to be taken into consideration, and it's not always easy to calculate the final result. So uh, before we end, uh, Robert, and I think uh, just right now we're talking about HR nutrition, I think I'd like to kind of throw a bit of, not a teaser, but I think a following up topic and we hopefully cover that in the following episodes, is in my mind there's a question whether attrition will continue to be relevant to organizations. I will explain why. Um, in a recent study was done by one of the uh, businesses that we're talking about, you know, the stages that HR journeys went through as a functions and with anchored in people's management um, uh, angle. 
and they were talking about you know, up to the 90s it was all about it's not it's about you know people making people feeling that they are in a family so working for a family and then following that so in the 40s the 1940s that basically changed the aspect so this is when we have the rise of unions in the US and this kind of battle for power so who has the power is it the is it the employer or is it the union or the employees right and then we move to another stage when the process comes and the resistance and has higher process and so on and so forth and then we have more the digital impact but it's really interesting right now because we will look too it's about technology right and and then we're working in the work environments kind of shifting paradigms the work remotely what that means and then if we if we look to that i think one of the things is that we're heading to an era where we could see that uh, employed is not the only way to do the job having employees not only the way to do the jobs and has two things to it, it has the, the, the technology role because it's going to have a knockoff effect uh, on optimizing or robotizing or standardizing a lot of the parts we need to do but also the fact that about the gig economy so kind of it's underrated for many years but there's a lot of numbers came out and saying well two years ago we have only one million people in that economy in 2020 we have now almost 8 million in two years time two years folds the question is if we move on era when you have a blend between core employees plus contractors plus people from the gig economy does attrition after that make sense to us anymore to major question for me it's an excellent point it's also since when we even today on the podcast we were talking about attrition more in the cost to a company in a negative way. However, attrition can actually bring around about improvements. It can make you actually think, it takes you out of your comfort zone. It makes you think actually, what can we do to improve the process? Maybe we don't need to hire somebody new. Maybe it was that the staff are not utilized fully. So maybe you make some movements in the team, make the team uh, more lean. Perhaps you're able to uh, re-engineer the process was to, to make it. Or even look exactly, look even further out the box. This is when you look at the gig economy and how can you actually uh, turn what used to be a negative, and it's still a negative for many companies, and try and turn it into a positive. Guys, I think this is the great topic for the, for the future episode. It was like always a pleasure to talk with you. And see you next time. See you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.